When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast lore behind the Mass Effect games. Welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. It's been two weeks. We had some... Uh, we had, since you looked at me? Since, since you looked at me. <laughs> man, we're changing out the music for a different song. Um, <laughs> it's been two weeks. Uh, Sam was kind of under the weather last week, so we, we skipped last week. Thank you for your patience. But we are back, and Sam, we're talking about more, more vehicles. This time, we're getting off the ground. Oh, yeah. I love that pun. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about things that can fly. Uh, these aren't actually operable by the player, though. So like before you hear this and get psyched and be like, wait, did I miss something in Mass Effect? No, sadly, you didn't. Yeah, uh, you, you can't, can't trade in the anything. Mako for like some sort of hovercraft or or rocket thing. No, that's uh-huh. not an option. Right. Aside from the one like, you know, taxi that you can fly in part of Mass Effect. Uh, no, no. So uh, today, you know, we are talking about these vehicles that fly. They make appearances in multiple games and media for Mass Effect. So players will recognize them. We're talking about the shuttle, uh, the UT-47 Kodiak and the Mass Effect version of the Apache helicopter, the A-61 Mantis gunship. Dude, I, I love the way the Mantis looks. We'll, we'll get into it when we get to that part of the episode. But uh... Um, but so here, let's start with the shuttle. When do we first see the Kodiak? So we we see this in Mass Effect 2, um, and then it comes back again in Mass Effect 3, and I also believe that it's in the anime movie Paragon Lost. Okay. okay. So if you haven't seen that movie, check it out. It's pretty good. Um, however, the Mass Effect 2, Two one and the Mass Effect three one they look pretty similar. Um, the one in the anime movie is more curved a little bit. Um, it's not so angular, but it's it's definitely still recognizable as the, uh, the Kodiak. And about the appearance, it has another bear name, right? The Kodiak. Kodiak, yeah. So we're going yeah, back bear. to bears. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Okay, back back, back to bears is our new band. That, uh, that I feel like that would be a that would be a Pacific Northwest folk indie band back to bears yeah i'm feeling a lot of acoustic guitar for sure (laughs) a lot of it yeah and then like maybe some light strings in the background um yeah and definitely no drums just somebody on one of those boxes you know those boxes you sit on you just kind of hit it and make the little you know yes like that one guy some tambourine action maybe. maybe some tambourine action but that one guy that brings that box to the parties all the time and is like the guy with the box and that's like his thing Ah, what a douche. Yeah. (laughs) He's in the band, though, so. So back to bears. And the reason I'm saying back to bears is because we had the the grizzly and then the mako and then the hammerhead, right? So we went bear, shark, shark. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> is this like Duck Duck Goose? <laughs> we went bear, shark, shark, and then um, nomad, so person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Bear, shark, shark, person, and now we're back to bears. Right. And so. And soon to be bug. Soon to be bug because right. Insect. it doesn't actually look like a bear. Right. It well, looks yeah. like a. It looks like a cockroach. It does. And the next one is a mantis. So looks like looks like a bug. The next one actually actually is a bug. But anyway, yes, I love that it's called a cockroach because I mean, it it's resilient, but it also kind of looks like a cockroach. Yes, that's what the grunts call it in Mass Effect. Not grunts as in multiple different Krogans <laughs> named grunt. <but laughs> My name's grunt. What's what's your name? I'm also grunt. <laughs> nice to meet you, grunt. Just a whole concert of Shepard. <laughs> Shepard. <Yeah. laughs> a grunt orchestra. Man, this episode is already just off the rails. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, this is what the grunts in the Alliance Marines call the Kodiak. They call at the combat cockroach because they're like you know we're past bears <laughs> we're, bears are so 2170s <laughs> this is the 2180s we're calling it the combat cockroach part of the reason is because like you said it's also very durable so let's talk about the way that it's used it's another vessel that's meant to transport troops so it's not all that different from the mako uh, but this one you know you can go from your ship the normandy or whatever that ship is to wherever your drop point is that can be planet side or it could be another ship in space. Yeah. So this so, thing actually has like like short distance FTL abilities, too. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I realized when we were putting these notes together, we probably should have mentioned it during the Mako episode. Um, but this is necessary since there's no more Mako to drop planet side. You know, there, of course, the Kodiak is filling this void in Mass Effect 2. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. so that's why we can kind of take that little departure with the hammerhead and say, well, it's OK. You know, we already have something that's very versatile. It's a transport vessel. We can be dropped planet side easily with this thing. Right. OK, so uh, for transporting, this is mostly for transportation, right? Getting some people from one place to another. Do we know how many people it fits? I mean, in the past with these other episodes, we we're talking about like, well, it doesn't look like it can fit this many people, but it fits them in here. Apparently 14. Um, <laughs> still so. seems kind of ridiculous. It's like a, a clown small, car. I was going to say a small classroom can fit in there. <laughs> it's like a clown car transport. A little thing. nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, it the just Kodak, doesn't look that big. It doesn't. I know. And that's yeah. what she said. But <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately, um, it doesn't look that big. I swear it's good enough for 14 people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, I've got, I have a card where I list them all. Here you go. Dear Lord, I'm leaving right now. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the codex says verbatim, the systems alliance UT 47 drop shuttle landing craft. That's a mouthful um that's what she 12. said oh god <laughs> i mean she didn't the, say that because she left after she saw the card with the 14 different names on it but. <laughs> yeah that, that was the problem it wasn't a mouthful um the ut-47 drop shuttle landing craft holds 12 soldiers in a cramped uncomfortable cargo bay and two more in the cockpit but 
honestly, I know that the codex is saying it's cramped and uncomfortable. Maybe if you're shoving 14 people in there, but it doesn't look that uncomfortable from what we see in the cutscenes in Mass Effect. In fact, it looks rather spacious because we only have a maximum of four people <laughs> right, in there. Right. When you fit four people into a space that's supposed to hold 14, that's a lot of extra room. It is, yeah. And and maybe part of that is granted because in Mass Effect 2, when we're in the Kodiak, it's part of Cerberus. So they don't have to shove that many people in there. They could probably afford a few extra Kodiaks. Yeah. Uh, and in Mass Effect 3, it's wartime. So the Normandy is granted those two Kodiaks you see in the in the sh- you know hangar bay. Um, so they already have two. So you probably don't need to shove that many people in there to begin with unless the SR2 ever needed to be evacuated. Um, But that said, think about all of the different scenes that take place inside this thing. Yeah, I mean, lots of conversation points uh, before loading into a planet, going on certain side quests like there's. Yeah, all the time. So, yeah, in Mass Effect 2, I thought it was like an awesome, immersive way to loop different levels together. You know, it was and then it becomes a staple in Mass Effect 3. Uh, perfect transition scenes between, go, you know, story points from going to from the Normandy to a planet or from, you know, any any place really A to B. And it's not just a loading screen. Right. So it makes sense that it was useful and it comes back in Mass Effect 3 after being in Mass Effect 2. Um, but we know what we know Cerberus, the Alliance. Do we know anybody else who uses this? It was first made for the Alliance, uh, but it's extremely useful and durable, like we mentioned. So as you can imagine, it, other people already wanted it. Um, the Codex tells us that the Kodiak was and schematics for the Kodiak were eventually sold to allies. Enemies got them and spies also stole the specs. So this thing mm. got around and That's the Codex a- also. <laughs> <laughs> it's another she said joke. OK, sorry, go on. <laughs> the Codex also tells us the shuttle is in no uncertain terms used all over the galaxy by 2186. So kind of like a cockroach, it multiplies and gets all over the place. <laughs> Just spread everywhere. It spreads yeah. everywhere. Okay, so what do we know about the technology? It's incredibly resistant to most environments, even the vacuum of space. Uh, again, it is hermetically sealed, just like the Mako was. Uh, it was first tested on Venus which I found to be pretty cool. Uh, If you know anything about Venus, then you'll know that everything about that planet's atmosphere would kill you. Yeah, I mean, talk about a hostile environment that, I mean, even like, do you remember when they were trying, like the Russians were trying to land a probe on the surface and their videos came out of like the probe descending through the clouds and then eventually like dies? Like it didn't got NASA destroyed. successfully land a probe yeah, on Venus. NASA eventually did. The early ones from the Russians didn't make it or they, they either crashed or they malfunctioned all the way through the atmosphere because it was so dense with whatever that was messing up the systems. But eventually NASA did. And we have some screenshots like from that, you know, like the surface of Venus now. But it, it is not a friendly environment at all. No. And in fact, Starfield does a great job replicating it, but it's everything about it it wants to kill you. It's clouds are made of sulfur. (laughs) You cannot breathe sulfur. It's basically hell. (laughs) (laughs) It is incredibly hot. The gravity is very high and the air is quite dense. I mean, I I watched like this YouTube video a while ago from from this guy who was going over the science of the climate of Venus and how long might you last 
if you got out of your spaceship on the surface of Venus. And it was like less than a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Just not a place you want to go. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, and, and we know uh, from the Codex that the Kodiak can, quote, land in hard vacuum, high pressure, and temperatures from near absolute zero to over 900 degrees Celsius. That's, that's very that's very hot. Um, that's hot right. enough that it's hard to have like a real world analogy for how hot that actually is, because most of us don't deal with temperatures that high. Like when you're cooking, I'm, it's nowhere near that. Like this is this is the these are you're getting close to the temperatures of like blacksmithing, <laughs> like melting you know steel. 900 degrees Celsius is 1173 Kelvin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cuz Kelvin Which is, is includes the yes. negative numbers, yeah. Yeah. Um so Kel <laughs> but I feel like I don't know. What 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 let me just google real quick. What, what? is 900 degrees Celsius? What te- what temperature? And this is we rarely do this on the show. Temperature no. does iron melt? Uh, in Celsius, fifteen hundred degrees Celsius. So it's it's a significant way to melting iron. Um, steel melts at thirteen seventy. Interesting. Right. So so this thing can literally survive like a vat of molten liquid <laughs> as long as yeah, it's right. not like steel. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe even then it might be able to survive. And, and, well, that would be too hot. But yes, and it's it, it's damn near indestructible. You know, we've only ever seen, I think, a, a couple of these destroyed in Mass Effect. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is the Reaper laser destroying them on Earth when they're trying to evacuate Earth at the very beginning of Mass Effect Three. Um, so we don't really see these destroyed. I mean, James even rams one at like very high speeds, and <laughs> right. it's damaged, but it's irreparable. Yeah. Okay. So I guess this makes sense why we don't really need the Mako when it comes to Mass Effect Two. Because this new thing can kind of handle it all, plus it flies. Yeah, and it flies, right? And it flies easily, apparently, because it has a completely ESO core. Uh, so they use that for mass effect fields. But the technology also differs depending on which model of the Kodiak you have. Uh, this is something that was introduced as a concept, Mass Effect 3, um, because you're back with the Alliance and it makes sense because they would have armed shuttles, right? Whereas Cerberus might not. Uh, so you've got the Cerberus version, right? And in, in Mass Effect 2, and then here comes the new hotness in the Alliance, <laughs> the UT-47A model. The 47A has a mass accelerator cannon. That's that big gun that I love so much on the top of the Mako. Um, mm. And obviously, the, when you have that big of a cannon on a flying thing it's it's primarily meant to destroy other vehicles yeah no it sounds it sounds like a transport slash tank sort of like a hybrid at that point yeah i i wonder you know how hard it would be to operate a mass accelerator cannon when you're flying yeah i would imagine that you would have some sort of uh i don't know ai assisted aiming software or something in it that's right. adjusting well, for your speed and your movement. It is one of the drawbacks. So why don't we, you know, normally we do the strengths first and then the drawbacks second, but why don't we hit this drawback first? That is the big one. On the arms of the Kodiak, uh, so, you know, those things that it protrude from the front and like, back. They look like little thruster, uh, like yes. m- maneuvering arm things. Yeah. 
those are thrusters and they're not actually all that strong because uh with little mass they don't really need to be you know the the uh, make or the not the make of the kodiak has a iso core so it all, already alters the mass so that it can fly um but with that little mass they don't need to be that strong to push it along but if the mass effect field fails then the kodiak is a death sentence because it's not really strong enough to push it around. In fact, in the games, it's referred to as a three million credit coffin. <laughs> right. Uh, if if that happens, um, so maybe we get this sense of how expensive each one is too. You know, three million credits doesn't yeah. seem too deep. Yeah, I can imagine uh, being in atmosphere, flying from one location to another, taking a bad hit, breaking the ESO core, and then all of a sudden just plummeting to the surface because those thrusters aren't going to do anything. Right. So because of that. Uh, your average idiot cannot pilot this thing uh, like, like all of us did with the Mako. It's not just, hey, let me just uh, go f- straight forward at this 50 degree cliff and drive <laughs> over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, in the codex says flying the 47A during atmospheric combat requires considerable skill. The pilot must reduce the vehicle's mass for speed and handling while maintaining enough mass to resist recoil, incoming fire, and inclement weather. These are some of these physics concerns that you had brought up before with the hammerhead. Yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense. Like, let's say let's say it, it's shielded well and it takes an impact from some sort of weapon, but the mass is reduced. That means that that impact could send the thing flying. And so I guess what they're saying here is that the pilots adjust the mass on the fly, depending on what's happening or how dangerous the situation is. Yeah, that, that, that is what the lore is indicating. And if you don't, if the pilot is not experienced enough, then the mass effect fields are eventually just overloaded. Like the whole system is overloaded and then you probably plummet down to the battlefield. <laughs> right, right. And now you're in a three million credit coffin. So, right. Because you're sitting still on the ground. <laughs> yeah. If you survive the crash at that point, even. Yes. Yeah. So and speaking of the the strength of the hull, we don't really know how strong it is because in Mass Effect 3, we see the Kodiak take a beating like repeatedly. But in in Mass Effect Paragon Lost, a single missile takes it down. Now, granted, that could just be for the sake of drama and the fact that it's an anime, um, but it still holds because it is canon. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else on this uh, combat cockroach? Yes, let's talk. Well, let's talk about the strengths because that was oh, just right. one of the drawbacks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Number one, it's incredibly versatile. I mean, you can use this thing for like, I'm just spitballing here, civilian humanitarian missions if you want. You can get the, you know, uh, one without weapons. Uh, it's incredibly durable. Um, the It is so commonly used that I would venture to guess that finding replacement parts is probably not that hard. And it it probably isn't that expensive. Whereas like if you were to try to find replacement parts for the Mako, yeah. that's tough. Yeah. Or the Normandy, <laughs> you know, like or special specialty ships and, and things are going to have very specialty parts, but these things are mass yeah. produced all over the, all over the place. So yeah. Definitely more space than the Mako, um, considering you can cram 14 people in there. <laughs> um, and of course it can be, it can be armed for in-air combat, or you can have like a more stealthy, maybe civilian version. Uh, and there are countermeasures that it comes with as well. Yeah, this reminds me a little bit of um, like the landing on the the coast during D-Day 
in World War II, how they had those troop transports with the things that would, you know, the planks would go down in the front and people would all pour out. Um, it's like an improved version of something like that. You can pack 14 people in, you can take them to their destination, you can get them off, the thing can protect them a bit, you know, as long as it doesn't take too much direct damage, and then you make a whole bunch of them, so you could dump a bunch of Marines off onto a planet somewhere and just get them into the combat as fast as possible. It feels like it's designed for something like that with, like, you know, future technology added on. In fact, probably similar scenes um, for a lot of the Alliance Marines on Earth if they tried to open that door while it was flying and shoot out. I mean, similar scenes of carnage, probably. Yeah. Any enemy can fire in there and just wipe out, you know. Right. Everybody's uh, packed in. 14 so people. Some gunfire right into the opening of the transport. Everybody gets you yep. know, taken out. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of something like that. Uh, it would be it would be a really cool scene to have like. I don't know, thousands of those like going to a place and dropping off a bunch of soldiers or something in a future. Well, there is in the the final invasion uh, or to take back Earth there. We do see quite a few of them flying in the air. Yeah, but thousands? Were there thousands in that scene? I don't think there were thousands, thousands on screen, but, but it certainly I mean, yeah, indicated in that, the lore. You know, right. Yeah. Right. But can you imagine in a future game where like, you know, with the advances of and maybe the in-game engine, or if not just a cutscene? of a bunch of these like coming off of some you know main ship heading down to the planet and then just like i don't know just little little specks of people all just running out from them onto the onto the battlefield i don't know billions of credits and shuttles (laughs) yeah 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 it would be really pretty cool um well now's our time to take a mid break and go thank our patrons so we will be right back don't go anywhere when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this Lorecast is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, here we are in the middle of the show, and we've got a new patron, Commander Marcus Shepard, joining us uh, just over the last week. Welcome to the Patreon. I believe you were a patron before, or somebody with the same exact name. Maybe you're just re-signing up. Whichever it is, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And shout outs to our Shepherd tier patrons, Kolkashins, Edboy, Kirasi, Lieutenant Tosino, and William. Thank you for your support. And to all 66 of our current patrons, thank you for your support. We couldn't do this without you. And uh, Sam, we got a new review in from the greatest of Britons. This is from. I think we actually got a few new. Did reviews. we get some others? I don't see any others on my list. If you have some, I saw them on up. Apple Podcasts. Yeah, they, sometimes it takes them a day to like show up and on my little aggregator list. This one is from Admiral Freya from the Greatest of Britons, uh, who writes, "All caught up and enjoying the show." Hey guys, I left you a review shortly after I found you on YouTube and was in need of catching up. I've decided to leave a follow-up review now that I'm completely up to date. Just seen the Hammerhead and Nomad episodes, loved all episodes and had a good laugh at times. Tally series was great. I always felt Femshep and Tally developed an adopted mother-daughter relationship instead of a romantic relationship that the male shepherd gets, if you choose to take that route. Some 
how on my first playthrough and ever since I've never failed to save both Geth and Corians. So I was dumbfounded when my cousin told me he screwed that up. Anyway, I also want to say that Hammerhead fre freezing up in cold has nothing to do with cabin or crew. It's a case of extreme cold reducing engines, jets, thrusters efficiency, which I think is reasonable drawback as I believe that's an issue with jet aircraft. Hammerhead can also oh, a great point. Yeah. Hammerhead can also duck in and out of cover with its mobility, which is nice to let the terrain take the hits. Anyway, love the jokes and look forward to the next episode. Well, thank you, Admiral Freya. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we've got some other ones. You want to read one of these out, Sam? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I have I'm actually just sending you a couple of screenshots yeah, I, I, from I, Apple Podcasts. Yeah. And here I'll uh, I'll read the one from Cashflow88, um, who looks like left us a five star review uh, says there Mass Effect lore cast. I wish you could see it like I do, people. It's perfect. <laughs> and Cashflow writes. Played Mass Effect Trilogy for the first time when the Legendary Edition came out, it quickly became my favorite video game series of all time. Just finished my fourth playthrough and couldn't get enough. Found this while looking for audiobooks, and I am so glad. I'm almost caught up with all the episodes. The work that is put in and the knowledge given is incredible. Love when they include tie-ins to real life as well. I've learned so much from Mass Effect from this podcast, plus I find myself laughing half the time from the dad jokes and the band names they came up with. Hey, well, we just come up, came up with another one today. Back to Paris. So uh, just love everything about this podcast. Thanks so much. Can't wait until we can talk about Mass Effect 4. That's awesome. Uh, we got one more. This is from uh, Spikerson, who writes, uh, very glad I came across this podcast. Sadly, I've only recently discovered this podcast via Spotify. Though I am a completionist myself, there has been plenty I've learned so far. As of writing this, I'm only about halfway through the episode so far. It's been a good way to get through the workday and helps me uh, make it more entertaining and learn some stuff in the process. Of course, I have to make a few comments on the game itself. One, I always wished that uh, that if you went through all the trouble of gathering practically as many resources as possible, that the refuse ending could have uh, resulted in a positive outcome. I did first play the original before the extended ending. I still have nightmares about it. Two, I hate that there are obvious romance favorites for every series so far. I hate how some get full scenes and sometimes multiple scenes play out while others just get a simple fade screen. Rip uh, Vetra fans. Yes, there are some mods out there, but I want my choices to feel equally valid and not like it's just some side note like Tally's original picture. Also, I don't hate Andromeda Sad they couldn't do much of what was imagined by the design team, but such is the way that game making goes, sadly. I ac uh, actually quite liked the combat uh, feel and movements. Keep up the great show. I look forward to future shows and hopefully new Mass Effect games at some point, too. So I have even more to learn about the Mass Effect universe. So thanks for taking the time to leave those reviews. We've got one more, but why don't we leave that one for next week? We've already spent a lot of time on reviews. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for leaving all the reviews. Thank you for supporting the show. We couldn't do it without all of you. Patreon.com slash Mass Effect Lorecast if you're interested in that. Let's move on with the rest of the show. Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. So that was the combat cockroach, and now we can move on to an actual vehicle that's named after an insect. Right. Bear, shark, shark, person, bear, bug. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Lamp, carpet, desk. 
I love Lamp. Earth, man, woman, camera, TV, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. What was it? Yes, yeah, so something like that. Um, anyway, uh, so the Mantis, right? Yes, the Mantis gunship. I like to call it a crime lord's best friend, <laughs> but it's also kind of used by Alliance personnel. Um, this is almost more of an enemy type than it is a vehicle for the Mass Effect games. Uh, which is crazy because there's like a lot of lore behind it. And yet it's more or less in gameplay, just kind of an enemy that we face as, as uh, somewhat of a boss battle. Um, every Merc group seems to have one of these and Cerberus has them. The Alliance has some, apparently the codex says dozens of armies around the galaxy have these. And it makes sense, I guess, because it was created well before the start of the games. It was manufactured in 2170, and we start 13, year, 13 years later in 2183. So do we have so, like a, a list of everybody that has them? Where do we see them? I don't think that there's an exhaustive list. Maybe if someone wants to really, really go through all the games. Um, but I do know that, you know, we see them on Omega. We see them on Ilium. We see them in both squad mates missions. We see them on Earth on Sirkesh, on Thessia, and I think that one is present during the Citadel coup. So these are a lot more commonly found than you might think when you just think about the A61 Mantis gunship. Um, and we already called it the Apache helicopter before, but that's because in terms of appearance, it looks just like an Apache helicopter. Yeah, you've got like the cockpit in the front and then the like framework behind it, similar to a, a helicopter. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 where the rotors would be. It's just hover thrusters is pretty much that. I mean, there's no rotor on top, but then there's hover thrusters on bottom and then there's even one in the back. So just think of an Apache helicopter that looks sleek and futuristic with hover thrusters. Yeah. Strangely, um, though, it doesn't look that much like a mantis. Like um, I think of mantis, I think of like a praying mantis is up on its legs and it's, you know, uh, more upright. This thing is more. Yeah, it hangs down almost more like a like a big wasp Claw. or something like that. Or a yes, I think a wasp, a wasp would have been a perfect name for this. Um, and let's talk about the name Mantis. Someone at Bioware is a huge fan of mantises because <laughs> because there's the Mantis helicopter, right? Then there's also the Mantis armor in Mass Effect and there's the Mantis sniper. So does someone want to come clean about their love for mantises? Yeah. Or maybe mantis was like a hero lost to the ages. And those are all like, I don't know, branding around the old hero. Maybe commander I, I, mantis uh, <laughs> commander mantis. Yes. Our Starfield uh, player listeners are going to love that one. Um, so I'm also thinking that maybe it's like almost a series name because uh, Hain Kadar makes the Mantis armor. So maybe what if they made this sniper as well? What if they also make this uh, attack helicopter? I mean, they're, they're all for combat reasons. So it makes it makes sense that it can, you know, connect. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the way that it's used, it is a two pilot he attack helicopter. I mean, there's just no way around describing it like that through and through. This thing is a killing machine. Uh, it has <laughs> missiles and an M350 mass accelerator cannon. It will ruin your day. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it will absolutely destroy you. Conversely, though, it's also a godsend if you're one of those infantry units who's getting swamped and you need to call in some close air support. So, yeah, 
Yeah. No, I mean, it, it has the same role as a helicopter. It's it's a highly maneuverable uh, troop support that can fly in, provide air cover, take down some enemies from a distance, whatever it needs to do. And then fly the hell out. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how we witness it in the action inside the games most of the time. But interestingly, the codex tells us that it's highly versatile. Ver- wow, versatile. Um, can't talk today. Versatile. Um, it's highly versa- versatile. Versatile. I'm going to have a stroke on air. <laughs> so here's what the codex says. It says, highly modular in construction, the Mantis can be reconfigured as a low-altitude gunship, a fighter, a high-altitude bomber, or even a single stage to orbit space plane that can engage enemy craft around a planet or space station. So it just does everything. It's like what the Ginsu knife of <laughs> fighter ships. It's crazy what kind of range this thing has in terms of roles. I mean, wow, you can go everywhere from like close air support that an Apache helicopter would provide. But it can also be a high altitude bomber. <laughs> what? And then, and then you to to also hear that it can f- functionally be an X wing, <laughs> right, right, and right, go around the planet and and take out like attackers on a space station. But apparently, the one thing that it can't do, no deep space travel, because it doesn't have an FTL drive on it. Right. So it needs some sort of mothership to transport from one place to another. Yes. So that could potentially be a logistical issue. You couldn't just like warp from one planet to another and rapidly invade someone with <laughs> a whole crowd of M61, A61 uh, mantises. Um, that would require definitely some ships to transport those. So what's the technology like? Well, there's mass effect technology. Uh, unsurprisingly, it that's how it flies. It's that's how it takes off. You know, the mass of it is altered by the mass effect fields. Um, it's also much faster than the Kodiak. So we were talking about how, as an attack helicopter, its role would be to fly in, shoot some stuff, fly out. Imagine this. This is how fast it is. And this is canon to the lore. It says it can go from Baton Rouge to Moscow, Russia, in a few hours. I did the math. That's 5,759 miles. Let's say three hours, because they said a few hours. That means that the Mantis gunship canonically can go 1,900 miles per hour, which is two and a half times the speed of sound. I have to wonder if that's in atmosphere, because then then you have like like the atmosphere to deal with sonic booms, you know, all of that stuff. It doesn't look particularly sleek and, you know, arrow like, <laughs> but I wonder if maybe by jumping in out of atmosphere and then going around the globe and then coming back into atmosphere, if it can go faster out in space, maybe kind of like yeah, the way that, that we would send like it... intercontinental ballistic missiles. They, they go out and then come back in. Hmm. Comforting thoughts. Um, yeah, <laughs> I uh, I think maybe maybe you're onto something there because uh, otherwise this thing is like the Concorde jet, right? Which is very sleek and, and aerodynamic in order to reach those speeds. Like that's crazy, crazy to think about. It is absolutely insane. Um, so that's how fast it can c- come into a battlefield and then get out. That's terrifying. Um, it also has kinetic barriers for shields. We know that from having to fight it. Uh, it has a thermal decoy system. 
apparently. Uh, I found that to be pretty cool. And it has an entire uh, suite of electronic countermeasures. Yeah, it makes so, sense. You would need something like that. So, yeah. So, yeah, um, the technology around this is is very impressive, especially when you consider that all of these things were put into this, this ship and it was manufactured in 2170, the same time that the Mako wasn't even around and the Grizzly was there instead. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't have to transport people. You just put two people in a cockpit and when, you know, give them a lot of explosives and bullets <laughs> and you just say go blow stuff up then go somewhere else <laughs> go on do your thing <laughs> do your thing uh yeah i mean it's also not highly shielded the way that you know the cockroaches or you know th- those kinds of things it's, it's meant to be a light fast cover support kind of thing that can is versatile right but it, yeah. you're not going to be tanking yeah. you know major impacts with this guy it, it, i feel like it'll go down fairly easy well, you know, it, it, it is less it is less vulnerable to surface to air attacks than some of its predecessors were. So you got to think that that would also mean it's less vulnerable to counterattacks or to, to surface to air attacks than like the F-35. Yeah, well, I, I would imagine the thermal decoy system, the countermeasures, the kinetic barriers, you add up all of those and its mobility. And it's it's probably very hard to even land a hit initially on the actual frame or body of the vehicle but if it does take a hit it probably goes down but like you'd you'd have to get past all those things first that's true that's why it's tough if you manage to land a hit with the m920 cane that thing is toast yeah right (laughs) right that's the nuke launcher right Uh, so uh that that kind of leads us into its strengths it's highly agile like we've said it's it's highly deadly it can carry again missiles and it has a mass accelerator cannon. Uh, and weirdly enough, it's fuel efficient. This is the the lore uh, in the codex says that you can do that flight from Louisiana to Moscow, and then you can fly a ground attack mission and go home before having to refuel. Well, it makes sense. If you're, if you're manipulating the mass of it, then it doesn't take as much fuel to speed it up or slow it down or, you know, travel and do, do its thing. So it's going to use less fuel because there's less mass. Yeah, and, and the same must go then for the uh, Kodiak. Um, it is very sleek. It has a low profile, so even if this thing wasn't moving too fast, a little tough to land a free, like a uh, you know, unguided hit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're not very not, big. They're also not that large, right? They're small no. targets to be trying to shoot at. So, no, there really only can fit two people in there. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and like we said, it's not too vulnerable to ground attackers. Uh, in terms of drawbacks, I can't really think of any uh, besides the fact that it can't hold many people and it needs to be transported around places. Yeah, and no FTL travel. But I mean, it's kind of like you mentioned Star Wars, like an X-Wing, like Luke travels in the X-Wing, you know, at FTL speeds. But there's no room to move around in that cockpit like if you got to go to the bathroom, you got to stop somewhere and get out <laughs> or, you know, or like you want to stretch. You, can, you don't have any room. So I would imagine you probably didn't want to go too far in it anyway. Probably not. I I don't want to think about it too much, but if you're in an X-Wing long enough, then <laughs> maybe you were deployed with a catheter. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But yeah, so. not, not a whole lot of room to move around. All right. So that's going to do it for for these two, the uh, Kodiak and the Mantis. This is fun. Yeah. This has been fun going over all these vehicles and stuff. 
Where yeah, you- and, and next week is our patron chat. But after that, we're going to be talking about some of the characters who work on the vehicles. Nice. All right. So, yeah, if you are interested in joining us, if you are already one of our patrons, that it's a tier four or higher or would like to join us, you still have time. We'll be getting together on the 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. That's next Friday from this current recording. Uh, so time to join us for that. And Sam, you got anything else going on? Um, no, that's pretty much it. You know, I'm looking forward to uh, a few big sports events. Uh, I'm a huge Phillies fan and a huge Ohio State Buckeyes fan. So big weekends coming up. Um, but that being said, people shouldn't hesitate to reach out to me. I've noticed some of you have added me on Steam or or Xbox, I think. Um, if you're going to do that, absolutely add me. But however, just let me know who you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because otherwise, I don't know. Um, so, you know, if you are going to add me, then go ahead and just say, hey, you know, I listen to Lorecast and I'm always happy to uh, you know add you as a friend, see if we play any games together, that kind of thing. And in the meantime, yeah, I, I am streaming Mass Effect um, on Twitch. My handle is in seven, the legend and same handle for Twitter. Yeah, it's one of those complexities of being a content creator. So many more people know you than you know, and you might not even recognize their names because they have different names on different platforms. So, yeah, please jump into the discord, you know, at us on the discord in the Mass Effect Lorecast channel, you know, say, hey, uh, you know, I found you on Steam. You mind if I add you that kind of stuff? This is my name on there that all of that helps. Uh, The other thing is, and I get this way more than you would think. Uh, a private message or just a at that says, Hey, like, do you get those sometimes? I've, seen, I've gotten those. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't know how to respond to that. We don't know who you are. And Hey is like, what no, say, Hey, I know you from this, uh, you know, th- thanks so much for doing your thing. Here's my question. Here's what I want to talk about. Something like that. that. That really helps the conversation get going. And if we don't respond right away, you know, oftentimes we're busy, but we try to respond to everybody that reaches out. So uh, again, the, the best way to get in contact with us is on the discord. We check that regularly. Um, thanks for being here, everybody. If you are into any of the other stuff I'm doing, Starfield, I've got the Starfield Lorecast. I've got a bunch of other shows over robotsradio.net for my shows and a bunch of other shows on the network. Lots of awesome stuff to listen to, but uh, we'll be back next week. And until then, have a wonderful week. And I guess uh, I, I need an exit that has something to do with these ships. Uh, fly safe. Fly safe. Don't mess with any bears and be careful around insects, I guess. Yeah. I'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.